From my side of warm, welcome to all of you today. My name is Louis Skippers, and I am the senior pastor at Grace Church. And I'm so excited about a new series that we're starting today called Neighboring. What is neighboring all about? That's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. But since a lot of South Africans dominated the platform this morning, <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Like, you might have a problem. Like, this might be called southern Canada or something soon, but um, let me tell you a bit of a story of where I grew up in South Africa, not where I grew up, but where we lived for a long time, a kind of neighborhood we were in. After university, um, when Yolanda and I, we were already married, we accepted a call to a church, and back then I actually got called to four different churches. One was in a small coastal town, like George is one of the most beautiful places you've ever seen. It is mountains and forests and the ocean, and the weather is always great. Another was in a very windy city on the coast. Um, one was in a pretty average kind of community like this. And then one was in a town that used to have the biggest gold mine in the world. That gold mine got shut down due to um, corruption. And out of the 80,000 people living in that town, 53,000 people were affected because of the shutdown of the mine. It was a dying town. It was so bad if a house burned down, they didn't even rebuild it. It would just stand there for years. Um, I can remember some of when we arrived there, like one of the first things that, that we encountered that was already going on was feeding hundreds of people from our church every single week. There was a lot of crime because there was so much poverty. <clears throat> and we lived as the crow would fly about... 700 meters away from what used to be a shaft of this mine. And illegal miners would go in there to go and to get gold. So some nights, the shootouts between the police and these miners would literally sound like machine guns, like war, like army, right? Like, and you would lie on your bed and that would be like 700 meters away from you. Actually, one of the police officers in our church was killed a couple of years later in one of those shootouts. It was a polluted town with um, a, a coal power station close to us. I used to struggle so much with my health and my asthma there. And yet looking back at it, a while ago, Yolanda and I started talking about this community and our six years there. And I told her it was six of the best years of my life. We didn't live in a very fancy house. It was a parsonage. It was owned by the church. When we got there, everything was kind of falling apart. Um, as I said, we had crime. Like It was cold in the winter, but not this cold, but close to this, but no snow. That kind of sucks. If everything is dead and brown and you can't do anything with it, that's not nice. So looking back at living in that neighborhood and thinking about how it was some of the best years of our life, what I realized is that place wasn't home because it was the perfect house, or because it was perfect safety, or because it was the perfect climate, or anything you want to add to it. It was home, and it was some of the best years of our lives because of the relationships that we had with people in that town. Blue-collared, mine-working people that lived very simple lives, and you kind of just there was no show about them. What you see is what you get, right? And they were just lovey for who you are, and we just love them for who they were. And it was great. The relationships we developed with our neighbors was awesome, and to this day, 
like I struggle to, to build such a wide network in any community as we did there. And therefore, we're starting this series today about neighboring because I want us to really think about what neighboring, when the Bible talks about neighboring, what that means and how we can live it out in our neighborhoods wherever we might be so that no matter what's going on in the neighborhood, that you can have stories like mine of some of the best years in your life, no matter what the surroundings, the physical surroundings actually look like. And today we're going to start reading from the book of Luke, and we're going to read the intro of, of a part that's very famous, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the parable, a parable is a story that Jesus told to explain a spiritual truth to people. And we're going to be working through that parable in the next two weeks. But today we're just going to read the intro of this. And um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 10, but it's also on the screen for you. And um, let's read together. How did Jesus get to that story in the first place? On one occasion, an expert in the law, remember these, these law experts were also religious leaders because in the Jewish community, religious law was also state law, right? So this is a religious leader who is an expert in the law. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another way to say it is, what must I do to earn God's favor? And Jesus asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And this law expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But this man wanted to justify himself so we ask Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So today, this is where we're going to jump in. And our first topic in this series, neighboring, is loving those around you. Loving those around you. When Jesus was asked to summarize everything that's written in the Bible, Jesus used these exact same words. If you go and read, is it Matthew 22? Um, Yes, Matthew 22, Mark 12, Jesus uses the same words. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a summary of the law. And all of this comes from two places in the Bible, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, where the first part of God's laws that's all about God is summarized as love God with everything you, you have. And then from Leviticus 19 verse 18, where everything that, we, that has to do with people gets summarized into another law, love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was asked, Jesus, what is today in our context the Christian life about? He said two things. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. But what does that mean? Who is my neighbor? And that's what we're going to be talking about today because this man had the same question and he wanted to justify himself by asking Jesus these, this question. And it's kind of like a sandwich, this part that we just read. It starts where he's saying like, Jesus, what must I do? And then there's the answer but then he, he links back into his question. He's like, okay, I, know, I knew that was the answer. But my actual question is, who's my neighbor? You see, this man wanted to define his neighbor the way he wanted to define it. Because the religious 
leaders were all about ticking off the right boxes. So if I'm able to define this law in a way that I feel like I can live this out, then I can tick off the box and I can feel good about myself and I did my religious duty and I know I'm all good with God. He wanted to justify his, himself and Jesus knew it. When a neighbor is someone we can choose, then that's easy. So he was kind of looking for a loophole. And I want to talk about a similar kind of thing that each and every single one of us do, whether you're a Christian or not. That is taking our preferences and imprinting it on a concept in order for that concept to work more in my favor. And this is a problem, I think, with these two very simple but beautiful commandments of Jesus, is that often, whether it's conscious or unconsciously, we put certain preferences on these laws of God in order for it to fit the way I want to live. And here's three ways that this very simple command, love your neighbor as yourself, that we try to make it to fit our definition, our preference. The first one, and I want you to to just listen to the three, and as I share the three, to try to identify yourself and say, okay, when, when I hear these words, loving my neighbor, and I look at my life right now, like, which option do I naturally run with? And the first way that we change the definition is by shrinking it down. So instead of seeing neighbor as a very wide term, we make it a very small term. Neighbors are people that I can relate to that are like me. So often in the Christian community, my neighbors are my Christian friends. And we all do that at some point in our life. It's natural for human beings to be attracted to people that think like me, that speak like me, that share my skin color, that share my language, that share the same hobbies. Think about it in school, right? You have these groupings already in school. You see it from, from JK and SK all the way through to high school to students. Whether it is based on a sport people are playing, whether it's based on the academics, whether it's based on music, but naturally people who are interested in the same things get drawn together. And then often what we do in the Christian church, when we hear love your neighbors, we shrink that concept down to my neighbor is everyone that looks like me, that thinks like me, that speaks like me. It's people probably in this room. And it's easier when I shrink it down to love people. The problem with it is that that is a concept where I have to exclude more and more people from it because as we have access to more information, as, as people think about stuff, what often happens is people develop little differences that in the world we're living in, where we, a thing arose that we call cancel culture, where cancel culture feeds the thing to surround myself just with people that's like me, and I cancel everyone that's on the outside. We see it happening on social media, right? Whether it's politics, we saw what happened in the U.S., um, whether that is about a view about vaccines or COVID, if someone differs from me, I cancel them. I cut them out. The same thing happens in churches and has been happening for years. Different denominations, if they differ from us a little bit, no matter if they believe in Jesus, we just cut them out. We cancel them. There's a thing that they've called, we actually studied this when I was studying, called the worship wars. This has been going on since a thousand years after Christ, where churches fight about music. If you don't do the music I like, we split the church in two. 
It happens about minor theological issues, about so many different things where we're like, if you don't think the same way I do, small churches versus large churches, faithful churches versus attractional churches, if you don't think the way I do, I cancel you, I cut you out, then you're not my neighbor. My neighbor is defined as someone who looks like me, who thinks like me, who speaks like me, and who doesn't disagree with me. But that pool will become smaller and smaller and smaller and you'll do less and less labor, neighboring. The benefit of that view is it's easy loving. When the people that I define as my neighbor are exactly like me, it's easy to love them, right? But Jesus said your neighbor even includes your enemy. People who differ from you completely. So the first thing we do, the first thing we imprint on this definition is we make it smaller. The second thing we do is we widen it too much. So what do I mean with that? We define it in the broadest possible terms. It's people across town, people that's helped by other organizations that receive my donations or government help. It's people in African countries. Right? Like quickly complete the sentence for me. Your mom used to say this. Eat your food because there are hungry children in China. <laughs> what do you all say? Africa. My mom said China. Come on. <laughs> because I was in Africa, right? You all said Africa. I'm like, South American people all went like, U.S. <laughs> that is the interesting thing. We, we define it. We keep moving the peck further and further away from us so that I don't have to take responsibility for it, us. There might be hungry people living right next to me, but as long as it's in a country that's without reach, then I don't really carry a responsibility because who can truly take care of everyone? Then I don't have to feel guilty. It soothes my conscience when I can be like, these people are far away, so if I give a couple of dollars, then I have loved my neighbor because that money goes to them, and, and I'm all good. I've, I've lived the commandment of Jesus. This way of defining it is all about not feeling guilty about neglecting the great command. We soothe our conscience by making it too wide. But the third problem, the third way that we imprint a preference on this command is by making it too abstract. And English, the great thing about English is you've got a word for everything. Abstracting is actually a word. I don't know it. I don't know if you knew it. I'm like, what? How can that be a word? But you can make abstract a verb. It's abstracting. You're abstracting it. We turn it into a nice saying without actually putting it into practice. Without knowing it, we make it metaphorical, right? So it is metaphorical love to a metaphorical neighbor that brings about metaphorical change in my neighborhood. Another way to say it, nothing ever happens. And then people go like in church, we want the meat. We want to hear the teaching about loving our enemies. I'm like, but we're all babies. We still struggle to just love my neighbor because he blew his leaves and fall to my side of the property, and now I'm like angry at him. I'm like, we're not ready to love our enemies, right? That's higher grade. We're at kindergarten level. And the thing is, why we like to make it metaphorical or to make it abstract is because then we can avoid the implications. 
We hold to the theory of the great commandment, but we avoid the implication of what it actually means to live it out practically every single day. So where do you fall? Do you shrink it down to people that just like you? Do you widen it so much that you don't really have to do anything about it? Or do you just make it so abstract that there's not really something you can do about it? And the problem with wanting to define the great commandment according to our preferences, the great risk is that we will grow numb to it. When you define the great commandment, loving God with everything you have, And loving your neighbor as yourself, when you define it according to your preferences, shrinking it, widening it, abstracting it, you run the risk of becoming numb to it and doing nothing about it and doing nothing with it. What if when the Bible said, love your neighbors, it actually means you love those around you? See, those around you means the people that's physically close to you. Because we want to say, I want to love those close to me. My family? Yes, that's easy. For some of us, at least. Not for everyone. But those around us is hard. Because now I have to love people who's living next door to me. I have to love the person sitting in this building today. I have to love the person standing behind the teller in the supermarket. See, we all need to get back to the basics of what God commanded, to love Him and to love others. And everything else is, at the end of the day, secondary. Let me tell you why it's so important for us to take this serious. What does it look like? What does a neighborhood start to look like when we do not live this out? When we grow numb to the great commandment, when we grow numb to loving our neighbors? First, people start to have a lot of contacts but there's no one on whose button they can press when things actually go south. Have you ever been there? You've got a thousand Facebook friends, but then when you have to move, you're like, who do I call? People start to live lonely and isolated lives. People are weary and fearful of their unknown neighbors, especially if they look different to you. Unnecessary misunderstandings exist between our neighbors. Christianity keeps declining in our neighborhoods. And at the end of the day, more and more people are trapped in empty, lonely, broken lives without any form of future hope for this life or for the next because they live lives without Jesus. See, if we cannot live the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, it literally leads to the unraveling of the fabric of our society. This rule keeper asked Jesus, what shall I do to earn eternal life? What shall I do to please God? And what I don't want you in this moment is to misunderstand the answer that to please God, it means that I have to keep rules because this is not what Christianity is about. For the Jews, it pretty much was that simple. They had to do something in order to please God. They never could. So every time they made a mistake, they had to offer an animal. They had to sacrifice an animal to say sorry for their sin. Because the penalty of sin of brokenness is death, the Bible says. But then finally, God is like, you're never going to get it right. We cannot do it ourselves. So God sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice to die on a cross. We're going to celebrate this at Easter. 
And now, as Christians, we do not need to love our neighbors in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, in order to experience God's grace. You do not need to love your neighbors in order to follow Jesus. But what happens in the Christian life is that because of what Jesus has done, because of the love that we have experienced that Jesus has for us, because of that love, loving my neighbors becomes a natural response of my heart. Loving our neighbors is the natural response of a heart changed by the love of Jesus. Let me say it in a different way. A heart that hasn't been changed by Jesus' love will struggle to love its neighbors. Though it is not required for salvation to love our neighbors, loving our neighbors lies at the very core of God's plan for our lives. Jesus said in in John 13, he told his disciples, I want you to love each other. Because when you love each other, people will see me. People will realize that you are followers of me. I'm like, but how can love do that? Let me tell you why love can do that. Because love is not a natural human thing. We call a lot of stuff love, but it's not. Love is actually very countercultural. You see, God is love. Love comes from God, and through God, we love each other. And Jesus said, love, actual love, is so countercultural that when people see it, it is so weird, it is so mind blowing that they go, you must know Jesus because something like this doesn't exist anywhere else. It has always been part of his plan for our lives. It's been part of his plan for our communities. Let me ask you this question. This is something that I've been thinking about just my own life. It's been an incredibly busy season for us since we've, we've arrived in, in Canada. So the last like 17 months. But is there a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in your community. Okay, let me make it a little more personal. Is there a difference between how you neighbor and your non-Christian people in your community neighbor? If there's not, there's a problem. Because Jesus said our neighboring, our love for our neighbor, our love for people here around us must be so different that people can see Jesus in it. What would it look like if we took the teaching of Jesus serious and decided to orient our daily lives around us? Things change because God invites us not just to love the way we feel, but he invites us to love the way he loves us. And he challenges us to put that love into action. And all around us, every single person that God created both has a need to experience love That means a place to belong, a place to be accepted, a place to be cared for, a place to be known. Every person has both the need to experience love, but every person on earth also has this need to do something significant with their lives. And there's nothing more significant that you can do with your life than to truly love other people. Every big hero that we think of that changed the world came out of their love for people. 
And if we were willing to love the way that Jesus loved, if we were willing to to live this commandment, we ourselves will find fulfillment in life because we will experience love and we'll be able to do something significant to give love and it will change everything. So let let me give you a bit of a glimpse of what this looks like because if you're like, okay, cool, how do I love my neighbor then? If you say it's either we're shrinking it, we're maximizing it, or we're, we're abstracting it. Like, how, how does it look? And actually, the Bible helps us to already figure this out because how are we supposed to love our neighbor? What did the Bible say? As ourselves. So I think God knew that we will, we will struggle to figure out how I should love my neighbor. So he said, like, let me make it simple for you. You love him as yourself. How do you love yourself? This morning when you got up, and you combed your hair or you messed it up, whatever you do. That is self-love. When you decided to eat food, to nourish your body, you loved yourself. When you decided to come here today, it's because you loved what God is doing inside of your, your body. The Bible uses the same illustration when he talks about a relationship between a husband and a wife. He says, husbands, take care of your wife as you would take care of your own body. Because no one, it says in Ephesians 5, will neglect their own body. And sometimes we do a little bit, right? But you're not going to go and sit next to the road until you just starve and there's nothing left of you. And this is when I think of it, about it in the most simple terms. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it means it cannot be on a surface level. Surface level would just like, be like putting your hair in order and getting dressed. But loving your neighbor has so many different facets to it. It goes so much deeper than it. Because just as there's many facets of loving yourself, who God made you, so there is many facets to loving our neighbor. It means on the most basic level that you would think of others Above yourself. Like, whoa, that doesn't make sense. If a fire starts in this building, what is the first thing that happens to all of us? We go into fight or flight mode. Your body responds naturally, first of all, to protect yourself. So it will either run away from the fire or it will try to find shelter somewhere where it will be safe from the fire. Sometimes your body acts a little stupid, I know, but it's trying, okay? Give it a chance. But that is natural to all of us to think of ourselves, to think of my need for, for food, to think of my need for water, to think of my need for shelter. And when the Bible talks about others, when he talks about our marriage, guess how it says how we should love our wives and our husbands? We submit to each other. That means I place the other person above myself. In Peter, when the Bible talks about unity in the church, what does it say? It says, because you have experienced the love of Jesus, think of others first. This is so, 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 so countercultural that I think although we hear the words, we struggle to really figure out what that means. Because the world tells us, don't worry about other people. First, think about yourself. You need to be healthy. You need to be sore. And we're like, but I'm nev- I never am, right? So I always have to think about myself first to get healthy, to, to take care of myself. And the Bible is like, whoa, you have to think of others before yourself. You have to be willing to serve them. You have to be willing to love them. It is the exact opposite of our natural way of thinking. And Paul actually wrote about this a little bit as well in the book of Romans. He took a lot of the laws about loving our neighbors and he condensed it and he explains it this way in Romans 13 from verse 8. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. 
accept the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may, may, may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. The Old Testament were full of laws like this. If you go and read the book of Leviticus and some of those books where all the laws are given, it would give simple rules like this. Put a fence around your roof so that your neighbor, if he goes up, doesn't fall off and die. It's like, why is that a law? Because it was there for the protection of people, to take care of people. And Paul is like, your basic thing, if you want to figure out what it means to love someone else, is, is that you think about them so much that whatever you do, there is no intent to harm them. That is what love is about. Love in action means that you seek the best for others, not the worst. And we need to apply this to our literal neighbors, to real people with real addresses, with real telephone, cell phone numbers, with real email addresses, with real faces and names. It goes for the people living next to you, the people living across the street. It goes for the people that you run into at work, your people at school. It is anyone around you. Neighboring means those around us, those in Close physical proximity. But here is the problem with the world we're living in. We know too much about stuff we can do nothing about and too little about stuff we can actually do something about. During COVID, I listened to a podcast by a man named John Tyson. He's a pastor in New York City. And he said this. He said, we know everything about that which we can do nothing about and almost nothing about that which we can do everything about. This was in COVID. Hear this. We know everything about COVID. You knew the stats. You knew everything about the vaccines, whether you were for it or against it. You know everything, the benefits and the, the negatives about wearing masks. You knew the rules of how far we should stand apart. We know everything about COVID, though we can do nothing about it. But we do not even know our neighbor's names. That quote shocked me, and I was driving in the car, and I said, hey, Siri, make a note. <laughs> and I rewound the, the podcast, and I listened to it again. Sorry, Siri. <clears throat> and I asked her to make this note, because I was like, this is shocking to me. I'm a researcher, and I knew almost every single stat there was, and I'm like, do I know my neighbor's names? Here's the beauty if you struggle with this. God provided a place for you, a training ground. Where you can do this in a simple way, in a place that's fairly safe, and he calls it his church. The people sitting next to you today, that's your first neighbors. That's the people you can practice on. You can practice loving them first. And they should be fairly easy to love. Sometimes they're a little hard, but you'll get through it. They will be easier than your neighbor who keeps blowing their leaves over to your side. 
But this is our training ground. God put this church together, not only for us to learn how to truly love, but also to be a witness to the world of what true love is all about. And from the inside of these walls, it needs to spread. Because let me tell you something. If we want to truly change the world, large gatherings and programs are not going to change our communities and it's not going to help people find Jesus. What is going to change our communities and what will help people find and know Jesus is our love for our neighbors. And when Christians become great neighbors... I want to tell you it has the potential to change our neighborhoods and our cities forever. And I want to tell you that to come a, become a great neighbor is becoming who God created you to be. It's the most basic of his plans for our lives. So where do I start? I know some of you have questions. And you're like, Louis, but there's barriers between me and my neighbors. What do I do? Guess what? I'm not going to leave you high and dry. We're going to be talking about that next week. Okay, we're starting why today? We're going to narrow it down. And then you might go like, oh, Louis, but like, okay, you said I should place them above myself and, and blah, blah, blah. But like, what does that actually look like? Where do I go with it once I know their names? I'm going to talk about that week three. Okay, so you're going to know what to do. I'm going to give you practical tips. And in our small groups and our grace groups, we're going to practice this, by the way. But here's what you can do this week. First, learn how to neighbor in this room. You don't know the people sitting next to you. It's time to introduce yourself. It's time to invite them for a coffee. Go to a next steps class. Join a serving team. We are like a family when we serve together. Join a grace group. We are now in week nine of our 10-week semester. So next week will be our last week for this semester. And the week after that, the last week of this series, we will start opening our groups up again for sign up and adding new groups. So if you're not in a grace group, you will never learn how to love if you cannot learn to love in that small group of people. So when we open it up, I want to see a queue outside. You go and you write your name down on whatever groups is open and you find a group where you can learn how to love. But then in your neighborhoods, this is my challenge for you for this week. Just think about your block and how many neighbors you know. And if there's anyone who you do not actually know, this is your first challenge this week, is just go and find out what their names are. That's it. That's it. We just had new neighbors moving in. Um, he's from Australia, so I'm like, yes, another um, outsider. <laughs> and no, they don't sound like me. <clears throat> but um, just go and find out their names. That's our first step for this week. But in this week, go and really think about it. How have you been neighboring in the past? Have you been shrinking down the command? so that it fits a small group of people that you get along with? Have you widened it so much that it's always far away and out of reach? Or have you just made it all metaphorical? Don't actually have to love people in action. Let's pray. Jesus, we live in a world that is in such, such desperate need for love. It is a world broken and isolated and alone. And sadly, it's a world that does not always see the love of Jesus reflected in our lives. And I pray today for each person hearing these words, I pray, God, that we will examine our own hearts 
and that we would choose to remove our imprint off of your definition of what it means to love a neighbor and that we will be willing to step out of our comfort zones, that we would be willing to love others the way we love ourselves, that we would be able to love others the way Jesus has loved us, that we would be willing to place others first, that we would be seeking the good of our communities instead of looking for harm. I pray, Jesus, that this church, Christ Church, would be known as a place where the love of Jesus is practically lived out. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.